Welcome to Mysterious Goings On. We're going to get right to the show after these messages. This is Michelle Cox. I'm the author of the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series, and you're listening to Mysterious Goings On. Do you ever have one of those books you pick up and you're you just thought, oh, I'll just kind of skim the beginning and, you know, we'll see where it takes me and I'll get to it when I get to it. But then the next thing you know, you look up and you're a quarter of the way through because it's so gripping. Well, get ready. You're getting ready to meet the author of such a book. And I am very excited to welcome to the show, Bunye Ngene, who is a Nigerian author. He currently lives in Munich, Germany. Debut novel, The Bodies That Move, was published in November of 2020. It's a finalist in the 2021 Next Generation Indie Book Awards. His writing in German and English is inspired by the uniqueness of everyday life and the interaction between different social groups. But I've got to tell you, this book, The Bodies That Move, which we're going to discuss today, along with his writing life, is gripping and well worth a position at the top of your bedside reading stack. Bunye, welcome to Mysterious Goings On. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I guess you're used to being showered with uh, so many accolades about this book, aren't you? It's a great book. Uh, I would say yes. I mean, the last few weeks have been very positive. I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> could I could I trouble you before we talk directly about the book to ask a little bit about you first? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, like you rightfully said, I'm originally from Nigeria, but I currently live in Munich, Germany. Yeah. How long have you lived in Munich? Uh, a little over 10 years now. I came October 2010. So it's been, ah. yeah, a bit over 10 years. And I take it you you like it okay? Yeah, I do, definitely. I mean, I studied the language. I have a bachelor's degree in German language and a master's in German as a foreign language, you know. So it's, um, yeah, the perfect country to be in <laughs> with that educational background, I think. Oh, I, I admire your facility for languages. Uh, I studied German in high school and uh, let's just say I don't know any German. Uh, <laughs> Not even Guten Tag. <laughs> I know Guten Tag, and I know the U.S. Uh, I know a few other things, but yeah, yeah. very, very little. I, it, I, you know, as we Americans often do, I point back to my grandmother, who was full-blooded German, but she, mm. she, she grew up in America and in uh, Baton Rouge near uh, New Orleans. So she oh, okay. just spoke like she just sounded like a Cajun. I never under she never once said a word of German to me, so I, I just didn't. Know. Um, Bunya, are you from originally from Lagos, uh, Nigeria? Yeah. yeah okay. I am. I'm just curious how much of how, how much geography and point of place has played a role in your writing. It's as far as I understand it. I mean, I think to a lot of American listeners, it will seem rather exotic to go from Africa to to yeah. Europe and flourish there. Um, but not only to do that, but to be an accomplished writer. Tell me a little bit about how do those those certain flavors have mixed together for you. I think it has a lot to do with the family family I grew up in. You know, I grew up in a family that really valued education, you know. So my parents had nine kids and we all studied. We all have a bachelor's degree at least, you know. So for them, it was quite important that we all studied something. So I didn't really have a choice. I had to study <laughs> something. <laughs> but they were quite liberal when it came to the um, 
to this to the topics itself you know they give us the freedom to choose whatever we wanted as long as we studied something so i think when you have that background it sort of opens doors for you uh, when it comes to mobility and going to other countries i think and i assume germany was a welcoming or generally it's welcoming to you yeah it is it's been nice I and mean, of course i've had you know bad experiences and good experiences as well you know so i think it would be um a lie to say it's all been perfect and nice no i've had bad days and good days but it's been mostly good you know i have great friends here and a nice job so i'm good okay this is the big question ready yeah. okay get ready are you loose are you ready for the question here it oh, comes i'm good all hit right me. here we go hear me hit me <laughs> hit me with that how do you like how do you like the food tell the truth I mean, after 10 years, you get used to it, Alex. You know, I mean, I can't complain right now. Um, at first, it took some getting used to, you know. I mean, the first one or two years was just extremely challenging. Uh, but I think by the fifth year, I got used to the knödel and the Schweinebraten and all that. So now I'm good. I can eat almost anything here in Germany. <laughs> I just had to ask. I, I have... Uh, <laughs> One of my best friends, he, he lived in Germany. He was stationed there, of course, in the, in the military for a while. And um, he, he loves the food. And now he's back in America and he makes it at least a couple of times a month. He sends me a picture yeah. of this massive spread with, with, these very, with these very, you know, Germanic names of the food yeah. that I can't pronounce. And he loves it. But yeah. I mean, of course, you, you always have the beer. You know, so if the food is by, you can always switch the beer. So yeah, it's, yeah, you never lose. I mean, I love beer, so I'm good. <laughs> Okay, that was going to be my next question. Very good. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about the bodies that move. I I was put in now. Don't laugh, but I was put in mind when I started going reading this story. And I should just say, I'll just say, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, the bodies that move tells the riveting story of a young man who decides to migrate to Europe in search of greener pastures. His journey takes him through many transit cities, safe houses, and detention camps in Nigeria, Niger, and war-torn Libya, and sees him cross the Sahara Desert. On his journey, he meets other travelers, each with unique stories. They are all united, however, by the desire for a better life in Europe. And Bunya, the, re the thing that came to mind there, the, the, the singer-songwriter Sting, I don't know if you're familiar, he did a song on, on his most recent album called Inshallah. Okay. which tells the story of these 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 poor people trying to get from uh libya across the mediterranean mm -hmm. uh, and it tells the story of a, of a parent trying to keep his child afloat and mm -hmm. of course inshallah means uh, isn't it if god's will yeah i think, I think that's what it yeah means. i think that's what it means arabic for god willing i think god willing right yeah, and yeah. so god willing will survive and get to this brighter shore. And so when I was looking into um, your book and starting to read that, I got that similar vibe. Um, I guess, why did you, wh what prompted you to go this direction with the, with the story? Um, I think the main inspiration came from just living here in Germany because before the corona pandemic the most discussed issue here in Germany was the so-called refugee crisis. You know, it was, a very political issue, a very controversial issue that pretty much split the German society into two factions. You know, so you had those who were open, you know, who felt Germany could do more to help the refugees. And then you had the other groups who felt Germany had done enough and had to close its borders, you know. So just being around that issue, being in that environment, I think it would have been difficult for me not to write about it as a writer, I think. You know, it was just everywhere. You couldn't escape the topic. 
And also as a German language teacher, I had the privilege of working with a lot of refugees, uh, most of them from Africa, but a lot from the Middle East as well, you know, from Syria. So I've had to teach a lot of refugees and just being around them as well sort of inspired me to go that route, I think. You know, that, that's not a situation that is isolated to Germany, of course. United mm -hmm. States, yeah. we have our own. There are two camps, basically. Mm -hmm. There are those who... Uh, who believe a rising tide lifts all boats, and then there are those who believe we let too many people in, we'll swamp the boat and sink the boat. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, and it, and I I think there are valid points on each side. Right, yeah. My issue, though, I, I just, my problem, I get, not a problem, I guess, my humanity gets in the way, though. I just, I have a daughter, and I just cannot imagine, again, back to that song, trying to keep mm -hmm. her afloat across this great sea just to yep. get her somewhere where she'll be safe and maybe have a shot at a life um so it's it's a troubling it's a troubling subject but your book really explores all the ins and outs of it and it does it through the eyes of all these characters exactly uh, yeah tell me tell me more about that uh how you arrived at that device for the book did 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 you initially think i'll just do it through the eye of just one character meeting a lot of people is that how it went or tell me more about that um, well, first, the main aim of the book was to humanize the refugees in the first place, you know, which is why I tried as much as possible to present their point of views. You know, it wasn't right. about the Europeans and how they saw them, because I felt we have enough materials on that. You know, like every newspaper has some information about what Germans think about refugees, but there are very few articles about how the refugees themselves see their own situations, how they perceive it. And that was my aim with the book, to present their perspective and also to humanize them as well. Initially, it was supposed to be about Nusa, you know, the main character. But as the story progressed, I started including other stories. And I thought, well, you know, he's not going on this journey alone. It's not a solitary journey. He's going to meet people from other countries as well. Mm -hmm. So it would be unrealistic for me to ignore these other stories and just concentrate on one person. So as the story progressed, I had to include other characters from other countries as well which required a lot of research because, I mean, I have characters from Cameroon. I had characters from, uh, I think it was from Uganda. You know, I've never yeah. been to any of these countries. I don't know a thing about these countries. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of reading and a lot of research in that aspect, you know, so yeah. But just mainly about presenting the perspectives of the refugees. That was the main goal of the book. How about a mundane writer question for you? Yeah. Do you have issues? Uh, I mean, I love what you're saying, and, you're, and this is interesting. I like. I think a lot of. I, I, by the way, I'm not talking down to Americans, but we're a fairly insular people when it comes to travel, and I think a lot of Americans just think Africa must be the same as the United States. Everybody goes yeah. all over it, and all. No, it's and it's massive. It's huge. It's huge. I mean, it's. I think it's two times the size of China. That's what a lot of people don't even know. <laughs> Because right. on, on, on the globes here in America, you know, yeah. it's, it's like a little thing. I'm like, no. Yeah, they, yeah and they're all somehow distorted, really. You know, the maps you guys have is the reality, you know. <laughs> it's, the, our, yeah. I, I say this all the time. I said this to my daughter. I said, young lady, uh, America's maps are the most arrogant maps you'll ever see in your life. They are. And we, yeah, they are. But if you get the map where they, you know, the map of the world where you flatten out. Yeah, the and then you see the, the right proportions. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, gosh, uh, Africa's huge. So, so, so you, I, I, so like I say, as a fellow writer, when you're having to 
um, do your research about, I mean, you said Cameroon, I mean, um, you talk about Niger, a, a friend of mine used to be ambassador in Niger and, oh, and, cool. and he told me so, and I learned his sister is my, actually my friend, but I listened to him speak often and she's told me many tales and stories and it's, it's a, it's a, it was a, it, when he was there, I think it's still to say a deeply impoverished country. Yeah. And, which is. And, in the stories, because people say, oh, he was an ambassador. He was part of the diplomatic corps. He was not the fancy ambassador who the president <laughs> appointed because he gave money. You know, it was it was yeah. a legit, you know. So when I hear you say, though, that you're doing the research about the different cultures, and, and I think that's the other thing, too, is to understand, and that your book offers, is that um, this is Africa is not monolithic. It's um, not, no. There's so many countries and so many cultures within the countries themselves. I mean, it's, exactly. ridi it's ridiculous. I. I'm going to make an assumption. You correct me, all right? There are more than one. There's more than one culture in Nigeria, is there not? Actually, there are over 300 cultures in Nigeria, and what a lot of people don't know is Nosa is from the is a it is a tribe in Nigeria called the Beniz. You know, from the Benin Kingdom. Nosa is Beni. I am not Beni. I am Igbo, which means I had to do some research into Nosa's culture as well. You know, remember the part where you went to the festival with the king. I had to do research on that because it's not my culture. I mean, I know what the, I have kind of like a, a superficial understanding of what the Benin culture looks like. I know what the language sounds like if I hear it, but yeah. I don't, I'm not like steeped into it. You know, I had to do some research. Why does the Oba dress the way he dress? Why does he have a white handkerchief on his mouth when he speaks? You know, I had to, you know, go into all those things. Even though I'm a Nigerian born and bred, I still had to try to find out about those things, you know, so yeah. Well, I think of uh, Uganda, all I frankly know is Idi Amin, and he's been gone forever, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't even know what's going on there. Or, or I know the name Good Luck Jonathan. I know some of these names of different politicians there, yeah. uh, geopolitical players throughout Africa. But uh, of course, Libya, Americans are a little more acquainted with Libya due to our turbulent uh, history with Libya. Yeah. Um, I mean, my goodness, the theme song to the Marines, United States Marines, mentions the shores of Tripoli, for goodness sake. So Really? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting. How imperial of us. Yes. Um, so <laughs> so you, you, you said it, Alex. I didn't say it. So. <laughs> you know, I'll, Bunya, I will just say this. And, and if, if Americans listening want to turn it off, fine. That's, you're missing out if you do. Uh, America has a lot we can learn from the rest of the world. And I think that uh, we should be open hearted and humble and respectful. And that's that's what I'm very very excited to speak with you anyway uh so continuing on continuing on uh what the question i was really getting around to after the cultural question though is okay this is right in it i asked a lot of male authors this and i asked i asked a lot of female authors this yeah. writing from a female perspective do you find it challenging no surprisingly no you know um when I started the book, there wasn't supposed to be a female character. <laughs> Let's just be frank about it. Um, and then as the story progressed, I thought, well, isn't it a bit, I don't know. Um, I felt I had to you know, open up my mind a bit, you know, I mean, I'm a male writer. Why does it, all, the, all the characters have to be men? Men, I could write about women as well. So just a way for me to challenge myself as well, you know, to include a female writer. And it wasn't something I struggled with because I think irrespective of one's gender, uh, the human experience is quite similar, especially when it comes to challenges and, you know, pain. We all feel pain in similar ways. You know, what are your man? Of course, you know, yeah, 
the crimes committed against women are a bit more unique, you know, let's just put it yeah. that way, you know. Yeah. For example, sexual assault. As a man, I don't really have to worry about it on a daily basis. Women have to. But just that sense of pain is quite similar, irrespective of your gender. So I, I wasn't thinking so much about the gender of the characters as more about their stories. I think that was what I concentrated more on, on the stories of the characters and not so much of the gender. And I hope I did a good job with the female characters. I'm not sure, but I, I mean, no one has complained up until now, so I think I did well. <laughs> I think you did. Well, the reviews are the proof of the pudding. Yeah, you know, you make a great point, especially when we're talking about um, the refugee status. I mean, men have to worry about one thing, but women have to worry, sadly, about of course, not, yeah. not just survival, but prevention of being raped or exactly. being sold yeah. into sold into sexual slavery or yeah. all all these things that men it's just not going to happen men i think men seemingly run the risk more of being killed yeah uh defending their 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 families or just in general or being definitely being robbed women have all of that plus the sexual and it's not sexual really it's because rape is a violent act but they have the that that angle going yeah. against them so so it just to me and I think you succeed, that even if it's not overt, there is that undercurrent in these characters. There's, uh, we say here in the United States, uh, sleep with one eye open. Yeah. And I think, I think women in particular do that far more than men. And I think males have a hard time recognizing that in general. That's why I want to ask you as a writer if, mm -hmm. if that was in there. And you, of course, just nailed that answer very yeah. well. Is Tell me, though, uh, Bunya, more about the research process. I'd love to know um, how long it took you to write the book. How much was research? And I, here, this is real inside baseball. I love to know this, okay? Because I'm, yeah. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of my eighth book right now, and I research as I go along. I'll even hear a podcast or a news article or watch a documentary, and I'm taking notes on my phone. And then when I'm writing, I will write down those notes at the top of where I'm writing that day. If it fits, great. If it doesn't, I cross it out. Love to know your process, particularly in regards to adding uh, those wonderful nuggets of verisimilitude into your stories. Uh, I think we have a lot in common, Alex. I also do the same. You know, I research as I go along. I mean, there's certain aspects that I try to you know, research on before I start writing, especially aspects that I consider to be very essential to the story. So I try to do those research before I start writing. But you're a writer, you know how it is, you know, things change, you know, the story takes its own turn. And as an author, if you're a good author, I think you go where the story leads. You don't fight it because right. you end up losing. You can't win that fight against the story, <laughs> you know? Uh, so of course I have I've also do a lot of research as I go along. The important aspects that I researched on was the daily lives of the refugees, because yeah. I mean, it's a work of fiction. It's not an autobiography. I'm not a refugee. I've never experienced this before. So I had to find out what it was like, you know, just daily mundane things, you know, like feeding, you know, um, interacting with other refugees. What do they do in their free time? Um, how do they sleep? How do they bathe? You know, these are things that most of us don't even think about, you know, on a daily basis. We just do them. Uh, but for these people, these are, you know, special occasions. So that was something I did a lot of research on, just to understand how their lives look like uh, mm -hmm. as refugees. And another aspect was the uh, smugglers. How do you smuggle hundreds of people, in some cases, thousands of people, from one part of the world to the other without getting into an airplane? <laughs> you know, that was something I did research on, you know, um, just the whole logistics of it. 
Um, so those are like two aspects that I did a lot of research on. And like, just like you said, you know, I just did it myself as I went along. Anything surprise you? Did anything jump out? Did, were you riding along at one point in the book and all of a sudden you learned something or found something, it, it came at you and you went, mm -hmm. that, as you, to, to add on to what you just said, that yeah. absolutely has to go in the book somehow and found a way? Yeah. How modern the smugglers are. You know, they use iPads and oh. you know, those things, you know. So you have a list of refugees and then once they've paid for the transportation, they send the information to other to other smugglers somewhere in Libya. So you have a Nigerian smuggler who has the email address of a Libyan smuggler <laughs> and they just send the list per email. And I just, for some reason, I didn't see that coming. You know, I didn't think that was a possibility but that's how they operated and that was something that I just thought oh okay I mean it's it makes sense but I never thought that it could be a possibility and that was something that you know it just really struck me and I thought well I have to put that in somewhere you know and you had one of the smugglers with an iPad you know reading out the names of the refugees so I thought I would put that in yeah that that's that blows me away too because it just doesn't fit the the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, the narrative you have, you know, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's that. Tell me tell me a little bit about how you write. I, I know that's a little bit cliche for a writer to ask another yeah. writer, but I want to know. Are you, are you, do you handwrite? Do you type? How many hours a day? What's your process? I'd love to know. Um, I'm a very emotional writer, which means I write whenever I feel like it, which isn't a good thing to say, because I think as a writer, you're supposed to say, oh, I write five hours a day, seven days a week, and I'm always writing. No, I'm right. not always writing. <laughs> I write whenever I feel like it. And I think that's my biggest challenge, you know, feeling, just have this motivation to write. Because most days I know what I want to write. I have the ideas in my, in my head. I have the notes. And then I sit in front of my laptop and nothing comes out. I'm just staring at the screen and it's staring back at me, you know. So I'm a very, it depends on the day of the week. Um, usually I write for about four hours a day, four to five hours. Wow. Um, yeah, when I get to it, four to five hours a day. But then I'm a very slow writer, you know. So in that four to five hours, we're talking about, a thousand, a thousand five hundred words, you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's not really much, but you know, yeah. I feel this. I, I've I've met a fellow traveler. Pardon the puns yeah. here, but I uh, same. I used to write every day. Um, my uh, my daily life doesn't allow it anymore. And although I think as I get older, um, it's just I have a harder time. I don't see how Stephen King does it. I read he writes what. Yeah. Two, Two to four exactly. hours a day. Yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm reading his book on writing. The, this the best. Memo. Exactly. Yeah. And he has this, you know, it's like a job every day. You know, when you write a thousand words a day, you get 80,000 words in three months. And I'm thinking, well, good for you, Mr. King. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> it doesn't work for me either. Yeah. I, I even suspected, I talked to a writer friend, and I said, you know, he's got to done what Richard Patterson did. He's got to have some people, he just a stable that feeds him. But but he's, I don't know if that's true. I doubt it. I think King is just a very rare animal. I'm showing uh, a bunch something listeners on the screen uh you see my phone here you can't really read it but i just want to show you you can't really read it this is a text i got from a listener yeah it says and i got it last night at 805 p.m okay what time is it there now about eight o'clock where is it where uh, is it? it's 6 30 right now 6 30 okay almost 6 30 so, yeah this is from a reader she she got my number years ago how is the book coming <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, and I get this. She used to call. Now she texts. She gets it. Uh, I said, hi, draft almost finished. Probably ready to send to editor in June. Sorry, so slow. She said, that is all right. 
<laughs> now, so, did you know what, Alex? When I was writing the first my book, Bodies That Move, I didn't tell anyone I was writing a book. No one knew. My friends didn't know. My family didn't know because I didn't want to get texts like that asking me. <laughs> you know, that's the worst question you can ask any writer. So I don't ask people that, and I don't want to get it. You know, so. <laughs> but you know what? I take it as a compliment since she's loving yeah. it. It's a, it's for my series. I do, Mister. Yeah, yeah. You are very. Your work is very literary. Mine's very genre. So, but so it's kind. Of, it's a compliment. But I gotta admit, there were times during lockdown because I did not do well during lockdown writing, where I sh I would get those from her every couple of months or at a call, and I just have to explain to her the muse is not here. But uh, what, what prompted me to start thinking about her, though, was what you said. I, got, I went from every day to where now I write in bursts. I'm an emotional writer, too, I guess. That's, I love the way you put that. I'm, I write on weekends now um, because I don't feel like I should be doing my day job. I don't feel like, you know, I, my, my wife and daughter understand. Dad's going to go upstairs and close the door. And I can get anywhere from, from two to, to 5,000 words in a good weekend doing that, uh, okay. four to six hours. But I just can't, I can't, I don't understand, I can't do every day. So I'm always curious to see how others do it. And you compose at the keyboard, right? You don't, you don't yeah, use. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, I have terrible handwriting. I can't even read my own handwriting, you know, so I just type everything and no, I can't. I should have been a doctor, as they say here, because my handwriting <laughs> yeah. is so poor. Yeah. Um, have you ever tried to, uh, to use the dictate function on uh, Word? No, and I don't intend to. Tell me why. I, 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 I don't think... Well, because for me, every sentence takes me about five to 10 minutes to construct. You know, I'm someone who I have a sentence in my head and then I say it out loud. I talk to myself a lot when I write and I tend to walk around, you know, so I don't sit still and write. I don't oh, interesting. know. I don't, I don't, it, it really happens. So I, I, I write better when I stand. So I have this idea of a sentence. And then I sit out loud and I walk around a bit and then I come back to the laptop, then I type it in. <laughs> and that's why it takes me so long to get a thousand words. But you get your steps in, which is great. Your I, health I get is... my steps in, exactly. You know, so I'm always active. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think the whole dictator thing, it just isn't for me. I, I would struggle. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but yeah, I'll tell you why I bring that up. I've never done it until I, I did it for a, a nonfiction book on podcasting I did because... That's easy. I just tell what I know. So I tried it a few chapters on my new novel, my new fiction, and I just tried it. And you know what? It's, it's been kind of helpful to me uh, just to kind of get stuff on paper. So what I do, I just kind of uh, verbally vomit it all out. Pardon the graphic uh, word there, but it, it's on the page. Then I, So I'll do that until I get those scenes written, so to speak. Then I go back and I spend the rest of my writing day just getting them shaped up to look just like, up, yeah. you know. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you this. I it was. I don't think I could do a whole fiction novel that way. But occasionally, when I get stuck or I'm just cranky, and I'd rather just kind of just talk to myself, like you do, mm -hmm. but have have a record of it that I can go back and play with. It seems to work. But I I'm always curious about that uh, that kind of thing. So, Bunya, as we're talking about the book, though, you've been nominated for a very nice award. Uh, how do you feel about that? Did did it surprise you? Were you were you jumping up and down? Did you tell anybody in your family you, you got nominated? Tell me about that. Uh, not yet, because it hasn't officially been announced. The results is going to be out ending of this month, ending of May. So by next week, it should be on the website of the award committee. So I haven't told anyone yet. You're the first person I've told. <laughs> I feel very special. You are special, Alex. You know, uh... <laughs> so, I mean, I felt, of course, it's, it's kind of like, you know, a confirmation of what 
you know, you are, well, not what you already know. It's like what you want to hear. Let's put it that way, you know, because right. I'm, I'm a self-published author. I couldn't even get, you know, any literary agents to take the manuscript, you know, so they start yeah. to deal with, you know, this self-esteem issue. And then being the finalist of such an award, you just feel like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm not wasting my time. I think that's yeah. just, you know, the feeling you get like, okay, I'm actually on the right path. So it, it's a good feeling to have. Now, are you writing fiction in, in, in German as well, or is this book going to be in German as well? Uh, fiction, mainly in English. Uh, I've written a nonfiction in German. Uh, I find that it's easier for me to write uh, fiction in, um, in English. You know, I can, it's, in my case, more like my first language, so I can play with the language a bit. With German, it's more, you know, scientific terms. I'm good with that. You know, it's quite straightforward, dry, clear cut. I can do that in German. Uh, Literary writing in German is something I would struggle with. I, I've written a short story in German as well, so I could do it, but it would be more work for me, of course. You know, so <laughs> I just stick to English when it comes to fiction. What are you? Uh, are you're one of nine children, as you said? Yeah. Are any of your siblings writers as well? Yeah, I have a brother who's a writer. Does he write fiction, nonfiction? He writes mainly children books and comics. Uh, that's sort of his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Is is he is he still in? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Nigeria. based in Nigeria. Yeah. All my siblings are in Nigeria. I'm the only one in Europe. <laughs> do, do you get home much? Do you go home? Yeah, I mean, I try to. You know, once in every two years. Uh, I was supposed to go last year, but thanks to Corona, you know, we all know what it's like. So I had to cancel the trip. Yeah, but I intend to be sometime later this year or next year. Yeah, but I try to. You know, once a year, once in every two years. That sounds great. Now. What's what's on the horizon for you? What are you, are you working on something you can talk about, or are you just kind of taking a break? Or I'm working on something on a second novel, but I can't tell you what it's about. <laughs> <sighs> well, I, you said I was special, Bunya. Come on, you can tell. <laughs> no, you're not that special, Alex. <laughs> oh wait, how did my wife get on this call? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious. I don't like to talk about my plans. You know, I like to keep things wrapped until you know i'm ready to share them as you should as you yeah. should well as as we're speaking of wrapping things up or as we're getting ready to wrap up i'd love to know um if people want to stay in the groove with you they can go to goodreads i know that yeah um you're on insta right exactly yeah and, and on facebook as well it's facebook are you going to do yeah. an author website down the road you think <laughs> Yeah, as soon as I get enough content, because I think there's nothing worse than having a website that's empty. You know, nobody, it's better not to have one than to have one where there's just one or two pictures in it. You know, so I'm just, you know, waiting a bit. As soon as I have enough content, like worthy content, so to speak, I would definitely get an author website. Well, you're going to need a place to put the uh, graphic for winning this uh, Indie Book Award. You're going to yeah. need that. You're going to need a place <laughs> for that. You're going to need a place for your book cover. You're going to need a place to say, Listen to my interview with the world-renowned interviewer, Alex Greenwood. Alex Greenwood. There you go. <laughs> uh, as we wrap it up, though, uh, uh, Bunyay, any advice for fledgling writers out there? Any thoughts about that? Any encouragement? Um, keep reading and keep writing. And I know there will be days when you feel like, well, you doubt yourself. But if it's something you really want to do, just keep doing it. Like there's no other way, really. There's no secret to it. Just keep doing what you love and keep reading, especially. The more you read, the better you write, I think. I think you're 100% right. And it's my advice is a little more simple. It's if, although, it, you know what? You just, 
you just changed how I think about this because I was going to say, I say, you can't write unless you put your butt in the chair. But you don't sit in the chair. You stand up to write. Exactly. So I, I walk around. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, man. But that would be a bad advice for me. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Bunya and Gune, I so appreciate you being on the show. Your book is a revelation. It's it's beautiful. I look forward to hearing. You will let me know, please, how you do when they announce everything. Um, I'm going to put links in the show notes to everything I mentioned, listeners. You're going to want to follow him on Facebook, Insta, and Goodreads. Read the book. Write a great review because, well, I'm not going to tell you to write a great review. You'll just write a review because it's so good. Um, Banya Ingun, thank you so very much for joining us here on Mysterious Goings On. Thank you, Alex. It was really nice talking to you. This episode is brought to you by Spotify and Anchor, your source for the best in music, podcasts, and more. You can also be someone who helps bring more to your life with Mysterious Goings On by being a listener supporter. Please click on the link in our show notes and you will be offered three tiers for support. We have a 99 cent per month tier. $4.99 per month and $9.99 per month. You can buy it with Google Pay or use with a credit card instead. This helps keep the show going. I could use your support if you really enjoy Mysterious Goings On and lots of you have since 2016. We'd love to keep going and some listener support like you would be very, very helpful to me in keeping the show moving right along there. So as I always say at the end of every show, keep reading, but also keep listening and please consider supporting Mysterious Goings On. Thanks so much for listening to Mysterious Goings On. Don't forget we have a complete archive of all of our interviews, monologues, updates, live readings, dead readings. All of that stuff is available at mgopod.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us so you never miss an episode. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual suspects. Please join us there. Again, don't forget, mgopod.com also has links where to find me on social media and how to get in touch in case you want to be a guest here on the show. Well, I think it's time that I move on for this week, but until next time, keep reading.